0: I sat up on the edge of the bed, feet on the floor, and uh, just thought about it for a minute. And it didn't take more than 60 seconds for me to realize what that dream was saying to me, that I'm not going to get self-esteem, self-confidence, high self-regard, self-respect, self-trust, self-love, a healthy self-image, by trying to please other people. Hey Michael, didn't you notice the word self is in front of all of these words? Beyond politics and above religion, a moral authority exists known globally as the Ageless Wisdom. It's the study of consciousness, the mystery of awareness, which cannot be measured, yet will not be denied. This podcast from Michael Benner's Wisdom of the Soul class features weekly lessons in metaphysics, mysticism, and esoteric philosophy. Those who attend live and free of charge on Zoom may also participate in group meditation and Q&A. Register for our newsletter at michaelbenner.com. Welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School with Michael Banner. Hey everybody, welcome to today's episode of The Wisdom of the Soul, brought to you by the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. I want to remind you that anytime you're unable to be with us live, you can always go to our YouTube channel. Usually by the next day, by Monday evening, I've posted the video on the YouTube channel, which is as you might expect the ageless wisdom mystery school and the podcast has the same name, Not wisdom of the soul. That's the class, but the podcast channel on all podcast player apps, aggregators, podcatchers, <laughs> directories, and websites, ageless wisdom mystery school. Just search those four words. And if you'd subscribe, especially to YouTube, I'm begging for YouTube subscribers because we're so close to the magic number, at which point they will begin to promote us and and suggest our classes, our programs to people who listen to similar programming. So uh, do it for the group. To promote the class, just subscribe. And if you want to hit the like button in the comment, that would be nice to appreciate that. But really value the uh, subscription. Today, we're going to talk about loneliness. And if you read the newsletter and the show notes, you know that I'm suggesting that loneliness is not what it appears to be. If it were, you could fix it by just getting up and going outside and, you know, creating some friendships or calling up some people you haven't seen in a while reconnecting but many of us have friends and extended families and we're still lonely You can be lonely in a crowd also why is solitude enjoyable and loneliness if not suffering a matter of discontent and very stressful and at near pandemic levels the covid pandemic i think had a lot to do with it But there's also the impact of technology of everybody being on their phones and their iPads and also the strange new ethic of not responding. Uh, It's been some time that people decided they didn't have to answer the phone. Even though we know that the person we're calling who is not answering Sees our name right on their phone. They know who they're. <laughs> it's sort of insulting, right? When you call someone and you know they're there and they don't pick up and they don't respond to your voicemail and they pretend they never got your email and they ignore your text. And so why are we doing this to ourselves? I think it's both an effect of loneliness but also a cause. Of the experience that we're calling loneliness but it's not a matter of being alone so that's my topic for the day today let's begin with an opening meditation and uh, then we'll pick up on that a little bit so if you get comfortable in your chairs or your meditation cushion or the sofa almost a Davenport anybody know what a Davenport is (laughs) I think that's a midwestern thing. Whatever furniture you happen to be sitting on, get comfortable, sit back, let your shoulders droop. Three. Eyes open, wide awake. Open your eyes now, wide awake. Eyes open, back in the room, feeling fine, rested, feeling better than before. Stretch a little bit, one way, stretch another way. Gently stomp your feet, get back in your body, and welcome back. All right, so that's my point. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Loneliness is relatively a real experience. Relatively, it's real. Have you um, ever—oh, of course you have. I'm being silly here to say, have have you ever sat outside at night and looked at the stars? Well, of course we have, right? I have this little uh, ritual that I do. I don't do it as often as I would like because uh, I too become deluded and confused and suffer sometimes from the impression that I'm busy. <laughs> but when possible, especially in spring nights or fall nights, most of the year, actually, I'm in the desert, as many of you know, so there is maybe 60 or 90 days where it's just too hot to sit outside even in the evening. But I like to go out in the twilight when the sun's low in the sky and wait for Venus to appear. Sometimes Venus is a morning star. Right now it's it's not a star, it's a planet. They call it the morning star. Sometimes the evening star. Right now, in its orbit it's an evening star and to see why do we call it a star it's not a star and we see Venus in the sky in the western sky as the Sun sets and you see it long before you see any stars so one of the things that occurred to me maybe the primary thought that I have when I watch Venus getting brighter and brighter as the skies, you know, transition from the blue of daytime to the black of night. One of the things that attracts me about watching it get brighter and lower in the sky is my connection to the millions, the hundreds of millions, the billions of people from the beginning of time that have done the same thing. That have sat outside in the evening and watched this planet, the sister planet, Venus, sink lower and lower into the sky as the sun sets, as a almost a signal or invitation for all the stars to pop out, to let Venus have her way with me. And that, hopefully that doesn't sound too odd to you, but that connects me to everybody who's ever looked at Venus and thought, why is that so beautiful? Why is that so attractive? For that matter, what is it about a sunset? I mean, sunsets can be quite extraordinary, but, you know, <laughs> some are quite ordinary. What is it? I think it's the peace, the lack of activity that creates this connection. And I think that's what we miss. It's not just the technology, the phones and the iPads and the computers and the apps. And that's a big part of it. Uh, this COVID thing we've been through, I think has been much more traumatizing than we really, then we really know in creating this sense of loneliness, this disconnection. But all you have to do is go into nature and that melts away. And if you say the mountains are too far away, the beach is too far away. Well, you've got a city park perhaps, or with any luck, a tree in the backyard that you could connect with. When was the last time he climbed a tree? Be careful. (laughs) But if you're up to it, get up in that tree or sit at the base of the tree and lean back against it, or actually hug the tree or dig in the ground. Garden, plant flowers. Connect to the earth. And wham, bam, the sense of loneliness, just this, like boredom, just disappears. So if boredom or our topic today, loneliness, if it were what it appears to be, then we could just go out, meet somebody for coffee or lunch or uh, whatever and shut them up and not be lonely anymore. But it's not that easy, is it? Loneliness is according to the studies that I've seen recently at epidemic or pandemic levels. It's a real serious situation and people aren't sure what to do about it because just hooking up with other people is not really alleviating the feeling I'll tell you what I think it is I think that loneliness and and boredom and despair are symptoms of a meaningless life and that the relationship we're looking for is a relationship we already have but have yet to discover and develop and that's the relationship with ourselves I long ago, long, long ago, accepted that my dedication to this field of transpersonal psychology or metaphysics, uh, esoteric philosophy, Prisca theologia, the perennial philosophy, whatever you want to call this stuff, was not ever going to be all that popular. There's not going to be crowds. Kicking in the doors to get to a seminar like this. People who seek this out, those of you who are watching me now and listening to what I say, are by definition quite exceptional and extraordinary people. However, you understand your motivation for being here, set that aside for a minute and just notice that, in fact, hey, you are here. When most people are terrified, at the prospect of discovery, much less developing, just discovering who they are. Completely, completely uninterested. And again, I think uh, beyond uninterested, quite terrified for fear that what they'll discover is that their fears of inadequacy are valid. That self-discovery, self-improvement, self-help whatever we're calling this, human potential, self-realization, actualization, requires some self-discovery at the beginning. And I'm afraid that what I'll discover is that my critics have been right. That I am a bad boy or a bad girl. That I'm not enough. And oh my God, I've spent my whole life, here's how you know you're making progress. I've spent my whole life not in service to my own personal development that I might have more to offer others, maximize my contribution, but in service to others so as to gain their acceptance and their approval and their friendship and their support (laughs) so that I can benefit indirectly. I had a dream maybe 30 years ago, 35 years ago, possibly. I don't think I've ever talked about, in this class anyway, this dream of mine. And, uh, gosh, I sure remember it well. In the dream, I was in a very crowded room, like a, uh, a big house party with, uh, you know, like 150 or 200 people in this big room or a hotel ballroom. Not an auditorium because it didn't have seats, but like a ballroom. And all these people are standing around in groups of two, three, four, and five, chatting with each other. Some kind of event, some kind of occasion. And I'm walking through, making my way through this crowd of people In the dream, it was a lucid dream. I was aware of dreaming while I was having the dream, as opposed to something I remembered when I woke up, you know. And as I'm moving through this crowd, not sure where I'm going, just sort of, I guess, acclimating myself to the situation, trying to figure it out. A voice in my head, a voice that seemed to be sort of the narrator of my life, You know that voice. Everybody has a voice. And uh, it says, you know, Michael, this dream is a product of what all these people are saying and what all these people are dreaming and what all these people are thinking and feeling. And they're all making up this dream that you're having right now. They all have input except you. (laughs) And I immediately, I immediately woke up. A bit horrified. What? Everybody is dreaming my dream except me? That doesn't seem fair. Like I ought to get a vote anyway. Excuse me. It's my life. It's my dream. Don't I get any input at all? Then I sat up, (laughs) I sat up on the edge of the bed, feet on the floor. And uh, just thought about it for a minute. And it didn't take more than 60 seconds for me to realize what that dream was saying to me. That I'm not going to get self-esteem, self-confidence, high self-regard, self-respect, self-trust, self-love, a healthy self-image by trying to please other people. Hey, Michael, didn't you notice the word self is in front of all of these words? Remember, before the Mexican drug cartels took over the urban gangs in America, there were the Crips and the Bloods, and they'd shoot each other. There, There still is some of that going on. Although most of the drug activity now has been taken over by the cartels, but you know the police and the social workers would say, "Why are you guys, why are your kids shooting each other, joining gangs, the red side and the blue side, and thinking you're opposites?" You know, from my perspective, it looks like you're pretty much both in the same situation. And they say, "Well, it's not just red and blue, crips and bloods, uh, good guys and bad guys here." It's that he disrespected me. And respect is a big thing in every community. Right down to the street. But how is it that so many of us, I don't care if you're college educated, graduate degrees, or a kid on the street that didn't get past the eighth grade, why is it so hard for us to see that When we respect ourselves, you cannot be disrespected by another person. You become bulletproof. If you love yourself, you become less needy and less likely to betray yourself in order to earn that love by dancing to another person's tune. That whatever we supply for ourselves... Well, let me cut to the chase. The more you know the truth of who you are, the less it matters what other people think. And that changes your whole perspective. You become less codependent instead of needing them to supply you with something you already have but don't know how to acknowledge and develop. You're able to provide that for yourself and then be of greater service to other people, which makes us even more happy. You can empathize and have compassion (laughs) only to the extent that you have self-compassion. I don't suppose there's such a thing as self-empathy, but if I say self-compassion, you know what I'm talking about. It's not feeling sorry for yourself. It's knowing yourself well enough, having studied yourself and your patterns and your habits, that you begin to see that in other people not from a judgmental, I'm better than them or, oh my God, I hope they're not better than me. But from an understanding that we couldn't possibly be superior or inferior to others once we acknowledge that we're unique. You're you're incomparable. So nobody's better than you and you're not better than them. And conversely, Nobody is inferior to you, nor are you, or could you be inferior to... You're just different. You are who you are. Why is that so terrifying? That we'd rather put it up to a vote, search other people, dance for them, sing for them, serve them in the hope that We can avoid being rejected by them and instead be embraced by them. And then, and only then feel good about ourselves. That's what leads to the loneliness and the boredom. It's not a lack of friends or friendships. It's a lack of understanding yourself. What makes you tick? Why do you think and act? What do you feel the way you feel, especially when it's different from the way you see others acting or feeling or, or speaking or thinking. So central to the meaning of life, bullseye, dead center the meaning of life. And this speaks also to having a purpose in life. I'm not sure those are different. No, I said that wrong. Many people believe meaning and purpose are synonymous. I frankly think they are a little different. I think purpose is sort of uh, universal and meaning rather personal, but it's semantics. I certainly wouldn't argue that. But central to meaning and purpose his identity. Who are you? Are you this disconnected, alienated, bored, contemptuous, angry, lonely person? Or are you the whole enchilada? The ocean is in the drop, even if the drop is not in the ocean. Water evaporates, it's a cloud. Is the cloud not the ocean? The cloud condenses into rain or snow. Is that not the ocean? It falls on the, in the mountains and runs down into the valleys, the rivers and the streams. Are they not the ocean? The dew drop and the flower in the morning. The humidity and the breath you exhale, is that not the ocean? Of course it is. You are the one thing from a unique perspective. There is no loneliness. It's just an unwillingness or a fear to discover the truth of who you are. Face that fear and (laughs) you will be amazed. Remember, fear is merely an alert, the brain reaching out, saying, I'm confused, I'm lacking information, I don't have the insight and the understanding. These feelings of anxiety and stress, this worry, this doubt, this apprehension and nervousness, this fear by any name, is simply the brain requesting more information. It's a feeling of uncertainty and confusion. So face your fear. Loneliness is a fear. About a paradigm that is not real, that's an illusion. A paradigm that says we're all separate, like a bunch of billiard balls on a pool table crashing into each other and bouncing around some kind of Newtonian mechanistic model of reality. Particles, everything's particles. Atoms and electrons and... Well, we know better than that now. We know those particles are actually energy. And energy exists in clouds, fields, oceans. We can't be divided up. Let me leave it at that. If you're lonely, when you feel lonely, tell yourself you need a purpose. You need meaning in your life. And that purpose is to know yourself, develop yourself, and then creatively express what you discover and develop in service to others. Could it be that simple? Yeah. And I promise you then, you will not be bored, and you will not feel lonely, and, uh, All that fear and stress and anxiety about not being good enough will vaporize. I promise it will, it's guaranteed. You're unique, come on. Why are you here? Because you're unique. Why am I unique? So that you can be here in a universe that bends over backward to avoid redundancy. You've heard me say many, many times, this universe will not replicate snowflakes. If it it won't even replicate snowflakes, Why would it replicate people? You're like others in many wonderful ways. But bottom line, you're unique. If you don't discover that and develop that and celebrate your uniqueness, to be who you are without judgment, it's easy to stop judging others when you stop judging yourself. But unless and until we do that, (laughs) who's going to do that for us? And then this whole experience, this whole unique experience of living my life, your life, is wasted, it's lost.